Hello and welcome to another episode of the only podcast to bring you into space every week without fail. It's easy like that. We just take you right there. We we don't we don't haggle about the price. What was Mike? I'm Eric Van Allen. My co-host Kenneth Shepard is here. Ken, what was the name of that like space plane that somebody was trying to make that was going to take rich people into space for like space trips? I feel like that particular like thing has come up so many times in the that, past that 50 years that has happened i fairly don't know often. which one you're talking about yeah i, I want to say there was one that was like from virgin airlines because i want to say that that rich dude who owns an island was was doing it but then maybe elon musk also had one we should really just launch them all into space and mm-hmm. then forget about the return trip just just jettison them or we can just do the much cheaper thing to get people to space which is create normandy fm every week we could do that. Normandy FM, your Mass Effect retrospective. We are deep into Mass Effect 2 at this point, and uh, we got one last squad member to pick up, and it's an old face. It's a, it's a familiar face, one that we have waited a long time to see again, again. You say all these things as if we have once. seen her face. <laughs> well, hey, look, I mean, you can you can add a mod that'll, that'll let you see her face. There are like a, the there are a lot Mass of, like... Effect weird mods that people have made over the years of what Tally's face looks like. Do tell. Like, I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> have we been seeing ones where, like, someone, like, modded the Caden romance scene from Mass Effect 3 to, like, have an actual, like, Tally, like, full-blown nude Oh. Sex wait, scene. Tally has a, wait, Tally has a full-blown nude scene? No, they, no, they, they made it. They, like, Oh. But, like, they body-swapped, like, Caden with Tally with the Caden, it's, it's a it's a whole thing. I, huh. I've I've seen some shit. I'm gonna have to do some extracurricular research after this because that feels like something that I need to understand for science. You know, <laughs> I need to really delve into it for science. Um, God, what the hell are we onto already? <laughs> it seems like a pretty normal episode so far. <laughs> yeah, we're we're right on track. Uh, this this week we're picking up Tally. Uh, she's out on a planet that's that's got some issues, and uh, number one of them is that the sun is way too damn hot. So uh, we're basically in Texas. Mm. This this planet is basically Texas, and, and the rest uh, of the world it, the next like fifty years or so. Yeah, and and the whole setup is that you get your shields fried while while you're in direct sunlight so you need to use shade and uh cover to not get your shields fried uh and that's kind of like the biggest part of this mission i feel and the thing that i remember most because this is the part where up to this point we, we talked a lot about how mass effect 2 has this really it's much more mobile it's much more uh active it's you're, you're doing a lot more and it feels less like you're turtling Mm. And and kind of just moving from like okay I'm going to sit here and I'm going to throw all my abilities and I'm going to pull out my assault rifle that I've modded to have 
just a bullet hose of a stream of never-ending bullets out of it now you're kind of having to move around you have abilities that encourage you to move around especially if you're vanguard or sentinel or things like that so uh with this one i keep going back and forth on how i felt about the combat in this mission because on one hand i love that it kind of forced you out of your comfort zone and there's some really clever stuff they do about halfway in where they're like okay you have this approach or this approach or this approach and it'll be easier this way and harder this way but in different ways you know you'll have cover from the artillery over here but there will be more infantry to deal with whereas vice versa for the other side um but on the other hand i felt like a lot of times in this mission i was basically finding one place where i felt safe and just kind of plucking away Mm. at the enemy shields and hoping that maybe their dumb ai walked them out into the sun that'd be great (laughs) but most of them are geths they don't have tons of shields uh they have a lot more like i felt like they had a lot more armor but mm-hmm. i might be misremembering that um at least the the big guy did but yeah i was kind of a two minds on this so that being said ken how did you feel about like this mission the way they kind of set up this overarching combat problem i think the like as a vanguard player it, it was one of the few missions that like really required strategy of me mm-hmm. because it was like i had to resist the temptation to always just keep charging because like i could charge right into the sunlight and lose my shield and then it would just like screw myself that way um Mm -hmm. but also like the charge in itself restores your shield so i was kind of like more prepared than i guess like it seems like i would be in premise um i do think that it's like across like the gimmicks that all these different um recruitment missions go through it is one of the more interesting ones because it is regardless of like the extent in which it does it depending on your class it does require some sort of changing of how you've played this game up to this point mm-hmm. and it, yeah and and this is the sort of thing that you never would have seen in the first Absolutely mass not. effect no. like they they had some ideas where they'd be like okay here's an interesting combat scenario but for the most time you were kind of walking into a place that looked like an arena and then enemies would stream in through very obvious doors or, or monster closets and you you'd take them out and you'd move on to the next area and you kind of rinse and repeat Whereas this really felt like one of one of the main points where Mass Effect 2 was like, okay, we're not just going to give you arenas with monster closets. We're going to give you problems that you have mm-hmm. to solve. We're going to give you different methods of approach. Um, I'm playing right. a game right now that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about. Well, no, this goes live on Wednesday, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'm playing Metro Exodus right now, which is the newest Metro game and uh it does a lot of the same thing where it's like okay here's the obvious path but then here's like other paths that might offer different solutions and that's like a thing you see a lot in video games especially like deus ex and other um kind of uh i don't know what you call like rpg action games where you're doing actiony stuff but it's also very rpg-esque and going back i don't i'm not going to be like oh mass effect was the first one to do this but it definitely was like it playing it playing it now i was like wow they were really ahead of their time Mm, back then like laying that sort of thing out uh and we get to run into some quarians including the excellent cal rieger always always a homie always a good guy voiced by a terrible trash person who we don't even need to bring up on this (laughs) podcast (laughs) won't even give him the time of the day Uh, luckily that well i mean unluckily luckily whatever you want to call it Cal Rieger does not appear in Mass Effect 3, so we won't have to deal with him later and have to deal with, like, not talking about who this person is. Mm-hmm. 
you know maybe we could just like kingdom hearts 3 it and just get like a sound alike and, and that'll be fine and we can just all pretend that it's all good yeah and, and we'll be okay just get the not johnny depp of cal rieger <laughs> mm. <laughs> so we we meet cal rieger and and we basically find out that they're there to figure out why the sun is going bad so this might not necessarily this might not necessarily be the time to bring this up but this is going to become something that i'm going to point out a little bit as we get closer to the end of mass effect 2 which seems like it's setting up for mass effect 3 they talk a lot about dark matter mm. and like dark energy and this stuff is actually like probably the only time to bring it up i feel like there really? is another point in this game where they mention it but it uh, might have been in like a dlc or it, something. well there was this one point uh in um ilium when we see um parasini again and she's talking yes. about it a little bit um yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, this is the only other time so i think it is the time to talk about it if there is a time to talk about it things that well, did for not, a long time you know, for a long time the reason why we bring it up is is that for a long time the one of the overarching theories about where Mass Effect was going and what the ultimate culmination of this game is going to be was that there's going to be something involving dark matter, dark space, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they bring up the the titular Mass Effect as as part of that, and it feels like they're kind of setting up that like, oh, maybe something that Tali is researching here is something that can affect the Reapers or might give us more information about the Reapers because it's this. You know, there's so many mysteries left to solve in the universe that anytime they bring one up, they're going to be like, oh, you know, maybe this is tied to the way that we beat the Reapers or the way that we mm-hmm. overcome the Reapers. Uh, well, I mean, if we're going but... to bring this up, I guess we might as well talk about what I think was Drew Carperton said that this, this plot line was supposed to go to. Like, did we yeah, want to get sure. into this? Specific? Yeah, because, like, apparently... Yeah. This was we got to... nothing else to do this podcast. I mean, yeah, I was say, we need to fill some time because we're talking about... This is what happens when there's an odd number of recruitment missions. Um, so apparently the, the, one of the initial ideas they had for Mass Effect 3's ending was going to be that the Reapers were looking for a way to sort of uh, prevent dark energy from like basically degrading like space. Mm-hmm. Um, which is Basically what, what is happening to the sun on this planet and, right. during the tally recruit mission. And so it's weird that like even then there was only like one... I mean, because like, it probably would have been, in the event that that's how it panned out... Um, would have been a much bigger talking point in Mass Effect 3. But um, even so, like, I don't really know that that would have been better than what we got. Um, You're talking to somebody who is a... Uh, who was a... Uh, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, the the thing taking over minds. The Indoctrination? Uh, yeah, I was, I was an indoctrination theory guy. <laughs> I thought that's where Mass Effect 3 was headed for a very long time. Mm. And, and I actually would have loved that, but uh, sadly, that's not where it went. We'll talk. We'll talk more about that in Mass Effect Three. Yeah, that's a. But yeah, uh, it's it still feels like. Places. <laughs> I feel like if it had been that, it would have felt like making the B plot the A plot like very quickly. Fair, fair. Yeah. What what if Saren had been showing up the whole time? Like you played Arkham Knight, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Like like how Joker keeps showing up in Arkham Knight. What if Saren kept showing up like that in Mass Effect Three? I mean, that would have been pretty cool. I mean, that would have been great. I would have been really into that. Saren just showing up and being like, "Oh, you think you're in control, Shepard?" and stuff like that. And like, oh my god, see, this is great. 
this is what Normandy FM comes up with. I mean, hilarious, we kinda, awesome ideas. <laughs> I mean, we kind of got the, something similar to that too, but um, not with Saren, but with somebody. Yeah, else. I, I do need to. I do need to go play. I've been itching to play Mass Effect Three. In in our private conversations between Ken and I, I have been just always one click away from starting my Mass Effect 3 playthrough even though that actual playthrough is s- several months off, right? Yeah, it's like it'll be like May or so by the time we get to it. Yeah. And it's just like I I, mean, I constantly have like the itch to play Mass Effect 3 again, but like even but now you've like played it more than I have. Oh, I've for only sure. played it once. Oh, so. wow. Okay. Um like just like even now like we're roughly midway through season 2 of the show, like I'm I'm kind of regretting just blazing through Mass Effect 2 just because, like, I've, I've, it's not the things that are, like, not coming back to me, but it's just, like, I feel kind of more distance from the show as we've been doing it that way. Just because, like, wow, it's been a whole week, but it feels like it's been two months since we did the last show. Because, like, I didn't have the game to, like... Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I think that's also reflective of the nature of this game is that it's it's a little bit more episodic almost right, for sure. it's not for it's sure. not quite like one large cohesive there you know there, there is one thread that's tying it all together but it's much more like shepherd shows up to this place to recruit somebody or do a loyalty mission or something like that and you kind of go off on this little separate adventure often you have to load into the actual mission it doesn't take place in the open world hub that you're coming out of and uh it's it's very like each story is much more contained i think that allows them a little bit more room to breathe and really focus on minor details and Mm. little character moments but that also makes it so that the overarching narrative kind of takes a a backseat to a lot of stuff when you think about it there are maybe one two three four major story missions between shepherd joining cerberus and the end of this game Mm. and uh that's that's strange because all the other game, you know, Mass Effect One, it was very much like you're going to do this, 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 and this, and it's going to you all the way through the main story, and it's all going to link together. And Mass Effect Three kind of has some episodic stuff where you're going to the different war zones and things like that, but mostly you are following a general through line. Whereas Mass Effect Two stands apart a little bit more in that, and and so it it does feel a little bit more disjointed. We have we have casts like this where we're sitting down and we're like we're just going to talk about the tally recruit mission which we're we're getting tally that's what happens mm-hmm. in this mission but uh it still has some interesting moments and i feel it it lets us focus more on the little the little things little things like this damn pillar in front of the room where tally is that's like waist high and everybody's like oh we gotta get some explosives and like, stuff to theoretically you could have like grunt with you and like you just get on his shoulder just just jump over just hop over but oh i got yeah, garrett like, with me he could probably lift me I yeah assume. like everybody just get on each other's shoulder i mean look you can hop that thing over nobody needs to like like pull some rubble over and make some stairs i don't know <laughs> like why are we looking everywhere for this c4 like we got we got if we had more creative people here we might have like a, another way of getting around this. but everyone this is massive games everyone's just gonna blow shit up that's what we're gonna do also shepherd's packing a rocket launcher all right mm-hmm. like and I don't know, maybe you've got the collector beam instead, but that thing still looks like it could fry through some pillars pretty easily. So, yeah, I don't. That always always bothered me. Um, you mentioned that 
<laughs> using pole on the drones is satisfying because they just fly across the field. It's like you, I, I can finally one shot something in this game. Pull them and they fly like across the screen, like behind you, but they're, they're gone. It's great. I have the same thing, but with Shockwave and the husks because mm. there's uh, some later missions that we will get to very shortly. Uh, you fight some husks in an area where there is a, a pit below you, essentially a kill zone, which you can't actually go into yourself because there's, you know, I guess invisible walls protecting Shepard from just walking off the side and into the bottomless pit. I I didn't try, but it seemed like I couldn't. But when I used Shockwave on the husks, they went flying <laughs> and mm. just disappeared into the oblivion. So like, cool. Awesome. I, I like that there's just wacky ragdoll shit in this game. It's, yeah. it's really good. Um, okay, here's interesting. You did not stop Rieger from helping in the fight. I did not. I did. I was like, sit down, dude. I got this. I am Commander <laughs> effing Shepard. I'm a roll in there. I got. I play. I beat this game before, man. I've been here before, and I've seen the other side. I got this. <laughs> Um, it's, it, so Rieger can die here. I, I, I guess I, I thought that it was like, if you ask him to help out, he will die, but, but you can ask him to help and he'll still live if you get through it fast enough. Right. If you're, if you're competent enough. Yeah. So now I got, now I'm competent and I also have, and I also have a rocket launcher behind me. So, (laughs) uh, so we, we get to Tally finally and she's not very happy about joining up with us because we're with Cerberus. And this is where Ken's expertise in all things lore and Mass Effect is going to come in handy. Because Finally, I have a reason to be here. <laughs> so you did a thing that only maybe two other people have done in the entire world, which is you have read the Mass Effect books. In fairness, most of them are pretty good. The Andromeda ones are absolutely excellent, which is surprising, like, considering, like... I guess the variance of quality of the Mass Effect series. Drag, like the Mass Effect... drag again, drag, drag Andromeda. <laughs> I can only drag it so much, but um, essentially... Ken Shepard noted as saying that the story of Andromeda is not quite his <laughs> quality. <laughs> no, okay, hold up. All right, no, okay. the The story of Mass Effect Andromeda is really good, but just like. <laughs> Generally, like, the manpower put behind the series at this point was, at least to my knowledge, very disproportionate to what they did around the time of the trilogy. Anyway, um, so this was from, like, when we we first met Tally at Freedom's Progress, she was, um, there was, like, there was tension between her and Cerberus, and they kind of gloss over it there. And then later... Mm -hmm. Like, when, so, like, Tally is, like, the scene where Tally gets on the Normandy is, like, really good, I think, because she's just, like, she, like, she starts talking to Shepard, and then Jacob starts talking to her, and, like, you can't see her face, but, like, you can tell that she's just got this, like, stank face, like, mm-hmm. you, you, what do you, what do you think you're doing to me? Like, no, no. Um, so, the thing, they, they reference it, and, like, when you talk to Tally later, she, she gets kind of, like, the British version of it, they reference Mass Effect Ascension, which was one of the novels that involves Anderson and Cerberus. And ultimately, the migrant fleet, because there's a um, this there was like a Cerberus squad that came onto a ship on the migrant fleet trying to kill this biotic kid, um, who was the main character of the books. 
And, uh, so yeah, it was like, because like, I read that before, if I remember correctly, if I, oh god, my, t- my, my, my timeline might be screwed up, but I'm pretty sure I read that before the game came out, so like I knew, like, ahead of time what was going on. Um, and yeah, cause, like, there, there aren't, it, a lot of the novels have to do with Cerberus, so they're nice to have as a sort of, like, supplementary, um, knowledge, um, and I don't think I would have been satisfied with these sort of, like, glossed over answers as to why these two major factions, like, were already, like, at each other's throats by the time that I started the mm-hmm. game. Did the novels come out before or after Mass Effect 2? I'm pretty sure Ascension came out before, um, and then there was a second one that came out between, uh, 2, two and, and three. 3. Yeah, let me double check. That That's what I've always been curious about, because I feel like, now that we're in Mass Effect 2, one of the big things that starts to happen here is there are story beats in two and three that are mentioned just enough for the for the player to understand what's going on but maybe not have deep intimacy with those facts whereas if you read the books that are related to each major story beat like ascension or the one with kai lang in it then you have a lot more knowledge of what what has been going on and why these characters are major players and that also feels like kind of a thing that was maybe a little ahead of its time because now we're kind of in the era of, you know, extraneous information where there is all this different stuff, you know, the cinematic universes, mm-hmm. and the, the tie-in comics. Like, right. like, was it Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I think, had a tie-in comic that was supposed to, like, lead into Shadow of the Tomb Raider or something like that. Right. And... uh why why <laughs> I just, look i have a lot of issues with shadow of the tomb raider but <laughs> that was just one of them yeah um so yeah essentially came out 2008 so that would have been like right after the first one and then uh then retribution which was the one that kyling debuted in was uh yes. i believe 2010 so that was like just after two which let me tell you <laughs> reading that book like being like, oh yeah, I'm totally stoked to finally see Kai Ling. What a letdown. We're going to spend a lot of time in Mass Effect 3 <laughs> talking about Kai Ling. I have a feeling we might <laughs> have a lot to talk about there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's something I go back and forth on. I feel like you and I have had talks about this a lot. Whereas where games that have issues with trying to put all this information in places that are not obvious to somebody who's trying to follow the series mm. and we actually have a good example of this right now because kingdom hearts 3 is is mm. a recent release and there were a lot of people who went into kingdom hearts 3 having only played one and two because logically someone who is just let's not even say like somebody who you know kind of pays attention to games let's say it's johnny whoever who just he goes and buys the games at the store every now and then you know he he sees kingdom hearts 3 he's like oh i played kingdom hearts 1 and 2 i'll jump into this maybe it's somebody who plays games every now and then and they haven't played one in a long time i know people who played kingdom hearts 2 when they were younger didn't keep up with any of the other ones because they didn't own the systems that they were on and then they saw kingdom hearts 3 come up and they're like cool new kingdom hearts game finally and they have to be sat down and told like okay no there's a lot that happened between two and three and like this birth by sleep and holy crap i myself did not play dream drop distance and i was not ready for how much of that plot was relevant in kingdom hearts three so there um 
I always go back and forth on this because I like the idea of having these side stories that can kind of flesh out parts that the main games can't get to because you know the main games have to tell a discrete narrative they have to ship they have to be created all the levels and characters and dialogue like there's so much that goes into making a game that you have to set out boundaries or you're never going to stop making the game and so having those side stories lets you kind of explore them in other mediums in different ways but at the same time, you can end up with a situation where you're playing Mass Effect 3 and you're like, who the fuck is Kai Lang? And then <laughs> somebody like you is coming in and you're like, oh, I've read the books. You know, I know. I'm ready. Let's see Kai Lang. And everybody else is sitting there like, who is this fucking Batman Beyond poser ass motherfucker? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> he always reminded me of Nightwing. I don't know why. He just reminds me a lot of Nightwing. Aesthetically, he looks like Nightwing. Like, yeah, I, can see that. I, I get like major Nightwing vibes. Uh and so I, what are your thoughts on this stuff? Because you are, to me at least, a lifetime connoisseur of the side content. You, you are the one who's still mad at me for having not watched Danganronpa 3. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, for one thing, that's not side content. That is a, like, that is the final chapter of a very concise story. Anyway. I don't know, man. That one says Danganronpa V3. I'm pretty sure that just is a weird, wacky way of saying it's the third one, Ken. <laughs> <sighs> so my thing is, like, I've always, like, it is like a soapbox that I get on, and Kingdom Hearts was, like you said, a, a very recent example of it. And I don't know that Mass Effect specifically is one of those things where it's, like, oh, every... Oh, no. Yeah, like, yeah, every it's, it's piece not on is, the like, this. Scale. For sure. Um, I, I think that, like, there is a way to do it that is like more concise and accessible like kingdom hearts i think its biggest problem was in its naming conventions where like if you wanted to like in actuality kingdom hearts 3 is like kingdom hearts 10 and if it had been Mm -hmm. named accordingly it might have like not gone over as it did and also not been released on as many systems as it had been so like it was nice that they did remaster everything put it on one system but even even then like that's the damage is done like the perception is already there that these are not like i know okay I know this is a Mass Effect podcast, so we need to talk about Mass Effect, but I need to bring up one thing that's just been driving me crazy about Kingdom Hearts 3 that we have not... I've not talked to anyone about yet. It just messes me up. You you have played Kingdom Hearts 3, right? Yeah. I, I think you haven't beaten it yet, right? I no. want to say we were talking no, about I've, this earlier. I've, I've beat it. But you've been far enough to where you got to the points where you see cutscenes from past games. Yeah. That is the weirdest thing that you're playing this game and then all of a sudden this like 3DS cutscene comes up and they have not remade it or up it or anything. So all of a sudden there's just like black bars and lower res graphics and they're like, oh yeah, this thing that happened. <laughs> yeah, that makes me think that all the characters have flashbacks that are like relative to the graphical fidelity of when they actually happen <laughs> so when Sora thinks back to his childhood it's all like less polygons lower res and the textures are worse and stuff. it's like when it's like when kids ask like they see black and white movies and then they're like what was color invented <laughs> you can never go back you can never go it's back like, to the days. when, when did 1080p get invented <laughs> When did we move past like 240p? That's what I sometimes wondered mm. watching those cutscenes. Luckily, so, Mass anyway. Effect has not had those issues. We do have mm. like some flashbacks in this game, but I feel like they're either animated or they just talk about them without showing them, which right. maybe is not as good, but eh, 
yeah. least we're not seeing like old cutscenes and stuff. Yeah. But but you were saying about um, going back to the older games and stuff. Just that I think there's like a a way to make these things more approachable to anybody. Like not not many series are like Kingdom Hearts, where they have ten games. But like Mass Effect, I feel like despite the fact that I don't think anyone should ever play just like just one of the Mass Effect series, I think they've done a better job just across all of the medium of like sort of making them entry level. Whether I think they should be played in that way or not. I think their hand kind of got forced because of the way that Mass Effect 3 came out. Especially, like, we talked about Mass Effect 2 and how you have the option to kind of write your Shepard's story and set up, you know, the the major things that are carrying over from one, which are, you know, like, which squad mate survived and who did you put on the council and all that kind of stuff. But when you got to 3, not only were there a lot more decisions that suddenly came into play... But it it came out on the I think it was the original Wii or maybe the Wii U. It came on the Wii U, um, yeah. Uh, and that system did not have any of the two prior games on yeah. it, so they needed to come up with something that would let you uh, kind of set up your your save, as it right. were. And then I feel like they really hit their stride with that with Dragon Age Inquisition because again, that was another point where there were ways to port forward your save but a lot of people had been crossing console lines at that point. Yeah. And also... Um, so they had that, the Dragon Age Keep. Like, the to... Keep, which is still really, really cool. I yeah. still think they... that's a really awesome thing. To, to bring this back to Mass Effect, they did make a Mass Effect one of those. I just don't know that a game is in development that will use it. Uh, the Mass Effect exactly. Archives. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that really, it, it really hurts to think about that because it's such a cool tool and also like it really reflects what bioware at least in my mind has always been about which is like you make these big choices that change the universe and they actually do carry forward they do have some level of impact on your game as you move forward even if it's only like one or two major choices i can still feel like you know we have two different playthroughs going here on norm dfm but we made different decisions about who to save and so we're going to have different characters showing up at different times so it's just kind of a shame to see that not being maybe i'm just thinking a lot about it because we have a new bioware game coming out pretty soon and all signs point to that game not having any of what we're talking about and it instead being more of like a linear destiny style campaign and because that's exactly what everyone wanted from bioware i yeah Yeah, nothing against destiny I, i i enjoy destiny i usually play through the campaigns of each of the the dlcs and stuff that come out i'm not really like a big I, I've never done a raid or anything like that, but I like a good shooter campaign every now and then. It's just that that is what I expect from Bungie because Bungie has always mm. been very good at that. You know, they made the Halo. <laughs> they made what is one of my favorite FPS campaigns. And to see Bioware suddenly have to capitulate to, to something like this is a little bit... I don't know if capitulate is, is too strong a word, but it's it's definitely... It feels like they're throwing their their hat into the ring, in in a way that it, it just I I've only played a little bit of Anthem, but it it just doesn't feel inherently Bioware in, in the way that like a Battle Royale came out this last week, Apex Legends, and that was made by the people who made Titanfall two, and I love Titanfall two, and I play Apex Legends, I'm like, oh, this is definitely something new, but I can feel the DNA. This is like, this is a respawn game. This is, I, I recognize their craft in this. So, 
Right. It's a shame to think we're not going to have that with Bioware in Anthem, at least presumably. Maybe I'll play it. I, I don't know, but I don't know. There's like since since we are since we have so little to talk about in this episode, I think this is like a perfectly fine thing to talk about because we are talking about just like the like the sort of projection of Bioware. Um, this episode is more of us talking about things that aren't Tally's recruitment mission than <laughs> us actually talking about Tally's recruitment. Mission. I mean, in fairness, we got through it, so we're yeah, you know. we got through it. We're we're just done now. So now it's just free free time. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's just strange to me is that it, like in the course of the five years since Inquisition, I actually don't remember when Shadowruns was supposed to come out, but it's like the last three games that Bioware has done, counting Anthem, have not. Like, okay, they had one cancelled game in Shadow Realms. They had Andromeda, which is unfairly, in my opinion, perceived as, like, a dud. And then now we have Anthem, which is sort of, like... I don't think anyone's ever actually came out and said it, but there is this sort of feeling in the air that the studio is riding on this to, like, be this massive success or the future of it could be in, like, in question. Um... And this is coming after they've already announced this or fourth Dragon Age. They have hinted at that maybe they're gonna get back to Mass Effect soon. Um, I don't know. It's just like it's a very strange situation as a person that is like a huge fan of this this studio to be like, is supporting this game supporting Bioware? Is it supporting games like Anthem? Like, where is the so, line there? You know. So we're we're also getting to a point now where I think the games that we make. And especially, I've been thinking a lot about this because we've been playing old games here, you know, games that are 10 years old. And uh, we're getting to a point where it's like, what is the human cost of developing these Mm -hmm. games? And what is the financial cost of making these games? Because it really seems like it keeps going up. It keeps needing more time, which is more money, which is more investment. And there's been a lot of talk lately about labor issues in the games industry whether it's um unfair uh work hours or it's Mm -hmm. uh labor practices in general or or whether it's pay and and even discussions like whether the price of a game needs to go up and that's because these games keep getting bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger it's because it it almost feels like it's this um escalating self-fulfilling prophecy like the a game needs to be bigger so it can demand more of your time so you'll want to spend more money on it. Mm. But then because you want them to spend more money on it, you need to give them more reason to invest. And so it keeps going back and forth until you end up with these games that are essentially these long-running content platforms. Right. You know, and we I feel the most obvious one where where it really started was World of Warcraft and the right. idea that this was the last game you were ever going to play and you'd play it all the time for hours and hours and hours and there was always going to be new content rolling out and that gradually turned into the content platforms of stuff like Overwatch and and um, why can't I think of it? Destiny, like we were just talking about. And so this really feels like EA wants one of those because they don't yeah. really have a lot of other ones. You know, just... Battlefront 2 kind of kind of could have been that. I mean, there is, there's still content coming out for it, but Battlefield isn't doing that well either. So EA needs that cash cow, I think. It just and kind of Bioware is the one standing there without a game. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just kind of like what I look at is like why if you there are so many like EA is a huge company that like I think as far as I know they're like the biggest company in the industry in terms of like profit and just output. Um, like 
they could make a studio and dedicate it to that. They don't need to... They didn't need to... And I, I hate to sound so dismissive of Anthem because I haven't played it yet. And I just know based on things that people told me about the demos and just looking at it, like, for all these years and, like... Why did they... I don't, I don't want to say damn Bioware to that role because, like, Inquisition was their best and most successful game ever, like, just in terms of sales. And I, I wonder, like, is the... Was their business model not viable because like that's what they've done for at this point it would have been 12 years because like they started doing this with Mass Effect 1 where they started they released this you know really substantial RPG and then bring out these substantial DLC packs that a lot of people bought into like it's not like you have a lot of people that bought Mass Effect 3 that didn't also try Citadel um and then like they they, they added multiplayer with Inquisition 3 and Andromeda and those like those have loot boxes whatever that's you know it's that's something that you have a problem with, fine, don't buy into it. I don't personally have that big of an issue with it, but I don't know, like, was... Because, <sighs> like, you you look at companies like Sony and Nintendo that still survive with these single-player games and, like, some, like, these occasional content drops of, like, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, those games are considered huge successes. Like, is, is it that EA wasn't satisfied with what they were getting, or is, are they specifically not seeing... I guess, I guess if they did they look at something like Destiny and Anthem and be like, if if this is getting us this much, this could get us more. I don't know. Well, and so that's the the weird thing. As you were talking about, you know, Mass Effect has had multiplayer in the past. They could easily do something that is like a Mass Effect battle royale. I hate to right. say it, but like that's take that same concept of like, okay, you're you're playing Mass Effect multiplayer. You're playing as you know the Krogan engineer or the Krogan engineer, that'd be really weird. Krogan berserker, um, Corian engineer, whatever, and and you just kind of pick your class and you you drop in, and it could be very similar to to Apex in the way that they handle that, mm-hmm. or even like could a standalone free to play Mass Effect multiplayer work? Nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think like, if you I t- think like, that's totally possible. I think if you pulled out Andromeda's multiplayer and just made it this free to play game, I think that a lot of people would probably be into that. And, like, how much, you know, what's the cost-to-benefit ratio on that? Like, how much are you having to invest to make that versus how much could you possibly make in return? Obviously, that's something that people who are paid to do that job would tell mm. me. But um, it's it, that just continues to beg the question of, like, why is Anthem the thing that they're making? Because it really just, if you sat me down in front of tape of that game and asked me at the end, like, who do you think made this game? I would not guess Bioware. Right. Uh, and it just... I I'm really interested to see where that thing goes. I don't mean to have like the entire back half of this podcast be us shitting on Bioware for making a video game and you know tending their craft and their profession, like trying to make money and put bread on the table. Like that, I I get it. You're game developers. This is what you do, and and sometimes they work. Sometimes it's not what I want. Sometimes it's it's something yeah. that somebody else wants, but I don't want this. And and. I, I keep getting the feeling of that from Anthem, that this is going to be something that, you know, it might find a community. It, you know, I don't think it's going to be Apex Legends. I don't think it's going to be Fortnite. I think it's going to be closer to something like Sea of Thieves, where there will probably be mm-hmm. some people who get really into it, and then others who just don't. Hopefully it's not like Battleborn. Rest in mm-hmm. peace. <laughs> um, but it's... All of this circles back to what we've we're talking about way before all this started with 
Mass Effect and how they set up these. This series is so good about setting up threads and creating a large narrative and giving you these characters to really care about and want to see through all these different adventures. And I, I just don't, you don't see games like that nowadays. I feel like that's the one major thing that we've lost in the transition from the 360 PS3 era to now. I feel like the biggest transition we've seen in a video game character was Kratos gaining a mm-hmm. conscience. <laughs> and, um, and, and we saw like what the results of that were, that it was like, you know, it was award winning. It was tons of people loved that game. I myself enjoyed that game. Maybe not my game of the year, but it's, it's definitely a good game and worth playing. And it's something that just, feels like a relic of a time that has passed and so i am really looking forward to the next dragon age because i want to know like is that sort of game still possible in 2019 2020 whenever it comes out like yeah because like for for like all the the posturing of like wondering what this means for bioware i don't think anthem is going to be what tells us what the future of bioware is i think it's going to be dragon age 4 and whether it's successful or not like how much does it sell like are, are people still interested in this sort of game and like honestly i i want to say we talked about this in a different way some other time but um i i don't think they're going to call it dragon age 4 i think they're going to call oh, it like sure. dragon age revenge edition or something like that <laughs> like they'll like the same way the same way the dragon age inquisition was technically dragon age 3 but not calling it that probably helps because then you don't have somebody going like, oh, well, I didn't play one or two, so I guess I'm not going to try this one out. Like, um, so, yeah, I I just always wonder, every time I go back to these games, every time I watch gameplay, obviously right now, um, shout-outs to, to Giant Bomb, uh, Alex Navarro over there, just started his run of uh, Mass Effect 2, and I've been keeping up with that as I, I always like hearing other people's uh opinions and it's cool that like another major place is uh i say another major place i have (laughs) i have lofty visions of normandy fm thank you every listener who tunes in and all of you especially who donate to the patreon at normandy fm patreon.com slash normandy fm uh we greatly value you you your love means the world to us but it's cool seeing other people kind of go back to this game because i i almost feel like there is kind of this overwhelming nostalgia for this kind of experience in gaming right now because it just doesn't exist anymore no one else is doing this and maybe the closest we had was telltale rest in peace um and jesus sounds like pretty bleak and it's like you just don't see stuff like this anymore and and it's kind of a bummer and i feel like there's a lot of feelings of wanting to go back to that recently and and maybe that's just from me playing these games and being like i miss when i would sit down and the game would feel like this again where i would have these moments where i'm like i'm really excited to get to the next thing and see what this character is doing and oh my god there's holy crap it's rex oh my god oh that's so awesome i love you rex what have you been up to and like i'm excited to go through all the conversation wheels and stuff because i'm like oh this is so cool whereas just nobody else does that And, and it's a bummer yeah it's a bummer, Ken. That's how we're going to end this podcast. Great. <laughs> but we do have good news But next week. We we do have good news. We are going to end this on a positive note. Uh, next week, we'll be doing the Miranda and Garrus loyalty missions, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And I was I was going to ask you, actually, why why we 
staged it that way because i was like why don't we do miranda and jacob but then i remembered we have a guest next week uh the one the only natalie flores will be coming on uh you might have heard her name uh from other places such as into the spine and and many other freelance outlets she is a freelance writer uh in games media she's gonna be coming on to talk about miranda and garris and all that good stuff so get excited for that we're excited it's the first time we've had a guest since jay so high bar is already set for her (laughs) well we got a few coming up for the next few weeks so oh yeah no the loyalty missions i feel is like it's an especially interesting time to bring other people in because you get to spend a lot of time talking about just the characters and their arcs and and how they have kind of grown throughout the series and also we get to really touch on an aspect that i don't feel we've touched on enough in this podcast um which is the fandom which is the the Mm -hmm. kind of culture and the love for these characters that people have you know they they kind of take on a life of of their own and in the same way that we see nowadays with games like overwatch where there's so much content being made not just you know extraneous content like books and stuff but there's you know fan art fan drawings um different fiction and stuff like that there's just all this different content being made out of the fandom and bringing in other people helps us to get that perspective i feel and we're going to have some people on uh this season and hopefully next who will help give us that perspective but until then we're excited for next week we'll see you then on norm dfm Dormidia film. Dormidia film. Dormidia film.